You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Sumit Bose speaks with Gab Babara, Managing Director of British Gas Business, as they discuss the company's vision of a net zero future. Gab, really good to see you. Uh, just first of all, everyone's all right? Family safe? Everyone good? Family safe. Everybody's good. My, my, uh, my 14 and a half year old is probably enjoying it too much and doesn't want to go back to school at all, if I'm honest. Um, so yeah, all good. And how about yours? Yeah, okay. I mean, obviously got the, the baby, so um, he's uh, testing things, particularly at three in the morning, but hey, but we're okay. And the main thing is, you know, all the staff and everyone uh, at uh, Future Net Zero Energy Love News are, are well. Um, I think we ought to start, I don't want to spend too much time on coronavirus, but we ought to start with that. Um, how has British Gas, Centrica, um, let's just go through a few things. How have you coped as a business? Um, you're obviously working from home, as many CEOs are. Um, how have you coped with the demands for customers as well in these, in these challenging times? And the, the third thing is how you feel you'll be able to, whether you return to normal or not, you, you start to adapt to this new condition, things like how you'll do social distancing. So let's just start with those three okay. points. So, no, they're good, good questions and, you know, uh, live debate and uh, fresh. So let's go through it. I think the first thing I'd like to start with is, is uh, obviously British gas business is probably less than a third of businesses across the UK. And just to bring that to life a little bit, that's 6,000 schools, 4,000 hospital buildings, 7,000 care homes, uh, under 5,000 hotels and restaurants. Now, I, I, I mentioned those sectors because those sectors have been pretty hard hit. Um, many customers are finding it hard. Um, and so we wanted to be there to support them. However, at the same time, we had to get our people home to be yeah. able to support them. So we got the vast majority of the B2B workforce home within a week and working off their laptops, doing web chat, doing cares off their doing care calls off their laptops within a week with the rest a couple of weeks later. This meant that our service um, actually kept pace with business demand because there were a lot of businesses that were struggling and are struggling or asking questions like, well, I'm not using usage and you're about to do pull my direct debit and I'm not happy with that. Um, so we need to be there to work with them and support them through that. Um, I'll give you some positives first before we get yeah. into some of the difficult things, but we also help some of our business customers switch. So I'll give a couple of illustrations. Um, uh, Falkirk Whiskey Distillery for example, switched to start making hand sanitizer. So because of that, their gas demand was gonna go up a lot. So they wanted help around how we could help them increase that capacity from a metering and servicing perspective. So we couldn't get there, but we did a digital guided survey to where the customer held the, their gadgets and showed us around the place and because of that we could quote them and give them the support they needed and then the team went out there within a day and within a within a short amount of time which would have taken maybe three months did within less than six weeks from start to end and got them ready producing hand sanitizer another great example is a woodstone house care home their local nhs asked them 
um, to take on elderly patients from the NHS that they wanted to take out of the ward because they need to make space for their ICUs. But because of that, the care home would have had an increase in power needs. So we also help them with increasing their capacity, putting in a new meter, et cetera. So there's been quite a lot of support, both in terms of businesses that have been, um, who are struggling, as well as others that are looking to use the opportunity to pivot what they're doing. So you've, um, you've had to be very adaptable then. You've, you've put in new ways of working. Like you said, this, this, someone does a survey, the actual customer did a survey, and then you had the ability to say, right, we can pro provide this, uh, this solution. From their home, on their laptops, or we may have a care agent who, um, within the space of a week and a half, is now in the morning answering web chat, in the afternoon answering calls, and at the end of the week doing backlogs. Whilst, you know, let's be clear, they've had maybe looking after two children or an elderly or, um, or providing care support. And it hasn't been great because on the one hand, they've had their family to deal with. And on the other hand, they've had some uh, businesses that are obviously struggling themselves and finding it difficult to, um, to react to that. Before I get to the businesses, um, in terms of our engineers, we've provided PPE for them to be able to go out and provide the boiler care activity, but obviously augmented that with the digital guided survey where we're doing almost 100 large boilers a month now where we're, we're providing that. And that's accelerated our plans in that area. Um, and w when you mentioned, you know, will you be making any changes after the coronavirus? Mm. Well, at the moment, we're still in it. So we're cool. still focusing on providing as best support we can, both for customers and engineers. But it is bringing up some great innovation. So we mentioned the web chat and calls. The other one that's interesting is that we had some capacity. So we actually hired, um, uh, we hired some people in to provide support that we were going to be bringing in in February. It just happened that COVID happened so then we had said, okay, so do we tell them we don't keep them? Do we put them on furlough? Do we need them? What do we do? So we actually put together a virtual training program. So five individuals had one teacher virtually helping them learn about SAP or billing or the energy industry. And then in the space of six weeks, they became a competent um, member of the team which we're really proud of. So when we talk about how life will be different after COVID, actually there's quite a lot of new things that are coming out. Last thing on COVID before we talk about net zero, do you think that um, what it's shown is we've always had, and you and I've had this discussion about kind of, is the energy industry still quite analog rather than digital? Is it still very slow moving rather than, the, you know, everyone thinks of tech industries as really fast moving or even retail? much faster has this shown actually the energy industry is quite reactive can be quite flexible and quite quite up to date when it needs to be um i think it's not just the energy industry i think the whole world has shown that it can be quite adaptable um and that people can work from home now whether there is effective working from home um they may not put in the same amount of hours, um, but they may be that they're 
more effective for the time they do put in. And maybe, um, you know, because you've got the ability to just go downstairs to the kitchen and get, grab some food, you're, you're, you're switched on more. Um, and so I've noticed different behaviours from different members of my team. Some have been switched on all the time. Yeah. I would get a call at nine o'clock saying, sorry to call you so late at home. It's like, well, I don't know what time it is right now. <laughs> um, then there are others where they may have been, um, you know, it's difficult to manage the them being on all the time because you just don't know. What's helped us, though, is we've had to react to businesses. And as you know, businesses are finding it difficult that they had to survive. Um, some of them are looking at whether they're going to survive post this crisis. And so we've seen a huge reduction in demand for a lot of the businesses. Um, and I think there are lots of statistics out there from National Grid overall of what the, what the market looks like. The other things we've seen is that there's been a lot less sales. The broker community have also furloughed and reduced their activity. And so there's a lot less, I'll call it, churn or velocity in the market of switching. Um, and if I move from that to where you said becoming a, you know, switching you into action, I think businesses as well have had to think about mm, how can I do things differently? Um, and the other thing is that they're also consuming less and therefore becoming more greener and, mm. and doing a lot more what would be net zero type of activity. So that's going to be, that's interesting. We have got a survey at the time of this recording, we've got a survey out, <clears throat> which we should have back very soon, where we've asked the future net zero audience about what, what I'm calling this net zero reset, which is at the point where COVID ends, and hopefully it'll be sooner than later, we have a, we have a dilemma. Same dilemma we had at the end of 2008-9 in the financial crash. And we went one way then. We went cheap power, we went oil and gas, we know what the market's been doing, it's really low right now. But there seems to be this thing, as you've just said, people have adapted, you know, we can see the air is clearer, we can breathe it, we can see animals, all of these things. And they're, you know, in London, they're talking about pedestrianizing places that you'd never think would be pedestrianizing, changing the way that vehicles transport. Do you believe that businesses, and, and there will be casualties, but there will also be successes after this, do you think there will be the appetite to say the path we were on before COVID, which was towards net zero and all the kind of stuff around Extinction Rebellion, the momentum of the public, do you think businesses will say, actually, that's still where I want to go? Or do you think they might be tempted to think short-term gain by cheaper, cheaper fossil fuel so, investment um, and looking at and various things that you I know think, i think your question has answered it which is it will it will be there'll be two different approaches you think so um, and the reason i say that is that um going back to 2008 2009 back then i was the head of group strategy for centrica um and i remember a report which showed at the time that as soon as we moved from economic growth to the global economic crisis at that time, we, um, the amount of Google searches and green searches dropped off completely. Um, mm. uh, and it was inversely, and was correlated, sorry, to the economic activity. So as the economy grows, 
the ability for us to invest and look at green grows. And that's what's happened historically. And so therefore, if history dictates the future, that's what will happen. And if I use my businesses, small businesses will say, actually, what I care about is I need to be sustainable. I need to be viable. I need to try and get all my employees to have jobs. And then if I have money, then I'll look at what discretionary investment I take, but I may not invest as much as I used to. However, as I said, there are two parts to it. There will be the other half that say, actually, I've learned something new and maybe I can do things in a different way. And like the energy industry and other industries, what would have what we would have planned for and taken six months of uh, discussion and debate to look at whether we can move half our staff to be doing more virtual capability from home, we did within a week. Of and you might find that both small and large businesses say, maybe there's a different way. Yeah. And so the hope, the hope would be that when that discretionary investment does come, that that gets focused on what would be less carbon intensive and less carbon intensive infrastructure. And that would be the hope, i.e. the next car would be electric. They'll be maybe looking for a more energy efficient appliance, whether that's heating ventilation equipment, or they'll be looking at upgrading to a more efficient boiler, or be looking potentially to just have a split unit and avoid gas altogether or they'll be looking at whether there's other ways of getting green gas um, and being a little bit more open to the different alternatives that there are. For your organisation, for British Gas Business in particular, what do you think that you think the, the challenge will be post-COVID? So where are you sitting in that? So do you think that you're going to be able to say, yes, we're going to change certain behaviours, maybe have less people working in the office, having shifts, um, are you going to start stopping flights? All these sort of things. Have you got any ideas around any of that at present? What what your initial thoughts might be? Where 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 you want to take the direction of the company? There are, there are no firm plans other than everything you've just said is on, you know, is is being looked at. We had committed to be net zero by 2050, and in fact, over the last decade, as you know, Centric has been quite committed to being as low carbon intensive as possible. In fact, we produce, I think the calculation will be something like 80% less carbon than we did back then. Um, and that our internal footprint is, has got a carbon, you know, 40% less carbon intensive in terms of property emissions. Um, and we've looked at right sizing our portfolio, bringing in electric vehicles, et cetera. So we've already committed to go down that journey. So we'll think we will continue. Has things given us a nudge forward to move forward faster? And I think that discretionary travel will mm. probably reduce because we've learned that we can work quite effectively. And that in fact, some of the, you could argue that some of the staff enjoyed going out and traveling and doing that. And maybe because of the need to recover and the, potentially the economic recession might take a year or two, that's a discretionary activity. And so we'll be looking at discretionary activity like that. We probably will look at our fleet of engineers and move more and more towards electric. 
Um, uh, we've made some partnerships with Ford, VW, um, even Lotus lately, where we, we are providing the electric vehicle infrastructure charging. We've put in, I think, 75 charge points across our car parks to enable our staff to think about electric vehicles as well. So a lot of those things are moving in that direction. So I think from our perspective, nothing changes other than our appetite to maybe push a bit faster than we would have. One of the aims of Future Net Zero, and again, thank you so much for supporting us on this platform, is for large organisations like you to lead, but also influence your supply chains and finally educate. Let's take that middle one, influencing the supply chains. How important will that be going forward? And I spoke to another CEO who said, you know, we, we are aiming to take our supply chain with us. You know, we want them to be net zero to the products we buy from them, the things that we have, the embedded carbon, we, we are accounting for that. Yeah. What is your vision around that? I think we're in the same place, that working with our supply chains, we are looking to help them be more energy efficient as well. So um, uh, we have a large telephony provider, a large bank, um, and other members of our supply chain, we're in active discussions to help them almost as customers, as well as being part of our supply chain. I'll get into what we're doing with them in a minute, but in terms of the rest of our supply chain, if I give you um, a little bit more insight on that, if you think about our engineers, they go out with many spare parts and packaging for those parts. And actually we are quite proud of the fact that we um, have a 99% recycling rate at our national distribution center um, around all of that activity. And in fact, we have a 79% recycling rate in the UK for our UK offices. So actually, we, when we talk about supply chain, it's not just the big ones, it's also the small stuff that matters. Um, so when we talk about business customers, um, as well as our supply chain, because for me, that's almost an overlap. Yes. Um, there are two main ways in which we help them. The first one is looking at what technology we could help them with to think about their roadmap, their energy roadmap, to look at whether they can put in more energy efficiency equipment, change their usage, bring in more renewable technologies such as solar or bring in electric vehicles, monitor their usage, reduce their overall demand. And then the second part is in terms of what's left of their demand, um, look at that in terms of providing them with green energy, whether that's through green certificates, or the fact that we as Centrica are one of, if not the largest provider of PPAs in the UK. And that's power purchase agreements with large solar, large wind farms, and we can bring that and sleeve that into our energy supply arrangements. Would you say that um, <clears throat> for customers, you know, you would be able to say to them, look, we're doing these things and we can help you towards net zero. And, and we, I, I take everything you said about some customers, that won't be the thing for them right now. But overall, we know that this is where we have to go as a society, let alone as a planet. So what can you do to help your customers who want to go, or if they said, you Gab, I'd like to be on this net zero pathway, what, what can you do to help me? Well, so the, the short answer is that we can provide an energy pathway. That's what we're calling it. 
And that energy pathway to net zero essentially works with them as stakeholders understanding their challenges, their particular challenges to create a path for how they can go from today to be net zero by whatever target they want to set. And if I give some examples for a large automobile manufacturer in the UK, we're looking at the fact that we are an energy supplier to them and provide them with, with green renewable energy certificates to make them green. Obviously, it's a de facto way of doing it. Then we look at looking at their estate and understanding what energy efficiency work they've already done and what's available in terms of new technology, such as putting in a solar farm or putting in a um, uh, wind or, or putting in a new building management system, upgrading their heating and ventilation equipment, putting in sensors, and I could rattle on all of the technologies, LEDs, etc., electric vehicles, if they, uh, uh, which is part of their future as well. So we'll look at all of that and put together a package where we can help them understand how to build that capability, provide that expertise, and guarantee the outcome of that expertise. So, for example, we guarantee that St George's Hospital reduces their energy bill by a million pounds a year. That's a guarantee whether the equipment works or not. So we will go in there, provide that energy roadmap and provide that guarantee that that equipment will reduce the energy. So essentially, um, that's how we do it. We, we basically define their future. Now, what they choose... Is not a, there's no silver bullet which says these are the seven. This is the technology, yeah, yeah. And the reason for that is because some businesses, and I won't explain them who they are, but some will have cash constraints. Obviously, more so because of COVID now. But if we ignore COVID, some will have cash constraints, um, but have the space, the land, and therefore could get into a joint venture with a bank to get a PPA, but someone else invests. Um, others maybe have the cash, but the technologies that, are, that can suit them is technologies that they potentially might not necessarily think is as green as others. So it may be that, that CHP will give them the best reduction and efficiency and reduce their costs, be the best cash outlay, but not as good as having solar farms, but they can't embed that on their plant. So there's going to be some trade-offs. And that's the complexity here is having, um, you know, as a sales pitch, I'll say it, having a partner that yeah. can help you through that energy pathway. Is it too simplistic to say, and maybe you're prejudiced in this way already, but is net zero all about energy? No. Is, is that what it really is? Because people no, say... this it's, is it's, one of the problems with net zero. Yes. One of the key problems with net zero is education. Mm. Because it depends what people mean by net zero as to what answer they get. The, the easy entry point is energy because we talk about energy, we talk about climate change, and we've attached climate change to CO2 and the output of energy and cars that have um, uh, emissions and um, other activity that, that essentially um, has an impact on climate change. However, that's not all of net zero because there's also what needs to be, what you need to look at is, um, and if you take the average home, you could have a green energy deal with your supplier 
who is potentially buying their energy from a wind farm or et cetera. But what, what about your waste? Is your waste net zero? Um, you know, are you, are you 100% recycling all your plastic? Um, I know my plastic goes to the Edmonton Recycling Centre. I'm putting in a plug for Biffa, um, <laughs> uh, which I'm a board member of. Um, and, you know, that is recycled. Um, the food, your, some municipalities don't recycle food. Some do. Um, and then you've got the rest of your refuse. That's not really net zero. Um, then are you driving a diesel car? You know, I'm ashamed I'm driving a diesel car. Oh, me too. Off-street parking and, and buy an electric vehicle, but I would. Um, I just can't uh, do that. Um, but again, you need to look at that. You know, are your children taking the bus to school? Is the bus electric? And so when you look at net zero, you actually need to look at the whole ecocosm. And that's not defined equally with everybody. People have defined in a different way. So education is important. And then the economic circumstance, as I said, is important as to whether people can afford to do it. And especially now with COVID, that's going to be the pinch point now. What's your final thought on this? Because I'm quite optimistic that we will see us after COVID saying that this is where we want to be. You know, And I know there are economic realities and we've lived through quite a few recessions. But I kind of think that, you know, you look at the planet right now and you kind of think what was the old way, we, what we called normal, wasn't really nice. It wasn't that normal. It was quite, you know, terrifying for plants and animals and all the things that we've seen. Yeah. Are you hopeful for the future? Yeah, I am. I'm always, I'm always glass half full. I'm always very super positive. Um, and I'm not saying it because it's also my company's mantra um, Centrica looking to be net zero. I'm also, you can hear from my accent, I'm an Aussie. When I look at the bushfires in Australia and I look at the coral bleaching and I look at the impact we had, I wonder that if COVID didn't happen, we'd still be talking about the bushfires or not. Um, and But the good news from COVID, if there's any good news, and I don't want to paint it in that way, um, is that we've reduced our demand a lot. And, um, and we've realised what we can do without, haven't we? Well, we've seen what we can do without. Now, um, that's not great for the economy. And so the economy needs to bring back, uh, spring back. But we need to understand, you know, when we have, when we start building the economy back again, and we make that discretionary investment, the, the innovation that's come from COVID uh, looking at different business models has meant that we can look at what ways we can be more environmentally friendly. So, for example, I mentioned it again, the digital guided survey. Because of that digital guided survey, um, the engineer didn't have to drive out and do one or two audit visits. Um, the customer is happy because they know for sure that all the data is there, they've seen it. Um, the... Uh, the, the activity was done at home virtually. Um, and it's just a new way of doing things. That's what I'm hoping that there's more and more replication of that as an opportunity. So I'm very hopeful that that will, um, that we definitely, once we get, if we ever get back to the same economic output 
as a world, we will, we will definitely be more um, environmentally friendly, I believe. You have been listening to a promoted podcast from Future Net Zero. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.